Get your official Adam Sank Show merchandise at adamsank.com. T-shirts, tank tops, mugs, masks, just about everything you can think of emblazoned with the Adam Sank Show logo. Go to adamsank.com to order your merch today. Thank you. This is the Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm going to suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. And now... The one, the only, Adam Sank! Bottom. Shut up, cunt! I will not. Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We are not live, but this is a brand new episode if you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern, Saturday, January 30th. Say goodbye to January, bitches. 2021 at dnrstudios.com, the only place you can hear this podcast throughout the week that it first airs. If you listen elsewhere, leave us your ratings and reviews on whichever audio platform you use. Email me, me, at adam at adamsank.com. Like the Facebook page, download the comedy albums, get your official ass merch at adamsank.com. And remember, you can now call the ass hotline anytime even when we're not on the air, even if you're a drunk hillbilly calling the wrong number, uh, you can call it and leave us a voicemail. The number for that is 804-TALK-ASS. That's 804-825-5277. Our guest today is making her ass debut. It is the legendary Pam Ann, the world's favorite flight attendant, or air hostess, as they say in uh, Australia, where she's from. Uh, but first, I need to introduce uh, everyone's favorite piglet, the always smelly Ryan Frostig. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank Hello, you so Ryan. Much. Hello, Adam. Uh, I actually can't smell you today. I think you're, I, I believe you are freshly scrubbed on this uh, rare morning. Mostly. <laughs> there Mostly. are parts of you that smell? Yeah. That's good to know. Where, where, where it matters, where it counts. Also with us is the compulsively clean Jordan Bercy, our lovely producer. Hello, JB. Hello. Thank you for calling me compulsively clean. I appreciate that. You are. You're a clean man. I am. Oh my God. The audience yeah. likes it too. They can't stop clapping for you. Uh, <laughs> listen, we last week's episode, uh, we had the lovely Drew Lausch, and uh, the weird thing is, he came back this week. Oh my God, uh, he, Drew! Uh, we, we were like, Drew, that that's over. You you don't need to. But he showed up again. You can talk, Drew. Oh you. oh well, I was like, if I'm not, <laughs> I didn't want to. You can be like second co-host. Yeah. for this hour. I love. Well, yeah, I join just, the combo. I couldn't stay away. It's just kind of weird, but it, you're yeah. always welcome just here. Hang out. I'm you obsessed with you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Drew was just telling me a fascinating story that he hooked up with somebody in Fargo, North Dakota, on one of the apps. Well, I tell the story. Yeah, well, I didn't. I didn't actually hook up with him again, as oh. we've said. I'm a super spreader. No, but he, <laughs> um, he messaged me on Grinder and was like, "Oh my gosh, the famous Drew Lausch. And I was like, "Oh, you must have seen me in Children of Eden and my high school play." <laughs> and and then I was like, "How do you know?" I was like, "How do you know of me or whatever?" And he was like, "Oh my gosh, I listen to Ass religiously, and like I've heard you, like I've heard you on Adam's show." And I was like, "Oh my, like." And so, Ash, I'm so, so if you're listening, Fargo girls, we love you. Yes, Fargo girls. Oh, well, yeah. Shout out to. Fargo, thank you for listening to the ass. When you go on Grinder in Fargo, are there like four people in within a hundred miles of you? Like, how many gays are there? No, Fargo. I mean, Fargo's a population of like three hundred thousand, so it's like you know. I mean, there's a there's at least like ten gays. Yeah, there's a running <laughs> but around. Haven't you already had them all? Uh, well, the ones of note, yeah. <laughs> the one, the, cute the notable ones. fucks, yeah, have, uh, yes. <laughs> Good for you. I'm very, very proud. Um, I wanted to start this hour because last week, aside from the delightful Drew Lausch, it was kind of a serious show. We did a lot of political stuff. So I thought we'd start with something completely absurd this week. And I want to ask everyone in the room to tell me honestly, do you enjoy swallowing? Yes. You do? Absolutely. Every time? Every time. Regardless of who it is? Yes. Wow. But that doesn't mean I enjoy it every time. I just oh. will do it. When do you not enjoy it? Mm. When it doesn't taste good. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I don't mind. I, I, I if it doesn't taste good, I'm not gonna like make. I'm not gonna have like a, a visible reaction. I'm not gonna like spit it out. <laughs> Such good manners. Um, right, I'm just, you're a nice person. I'm just a fucking cum slut. I don't know. I just I feel like it's 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 got to go somewhere. Um, and uh, it shouldn't be, you know, just rubbed off on a towel. It should go into 
you know, a hole, an orifice. Right. Well, you, you said you may want kids, so. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to get the process moving because I will be giving birth uh, one day. <laughs> Through your throat. Through right. Your throat. Drew Lausch. No baby left behind. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm pro-life. Um, I don't, uh, no, I mean, if they're like really hot and I'm really into it and I want to be like, <laughs> I'm like a slut, like sure, but not, if it's a stranger, I probably won't. Or, but I'm also not someone that really swallows the entire load ever unless I'm in love with you. Like, I feel like I'll do like the first pump and then I'm like, okay. Yeah. JB? <laughs> oh, okay. JB only swallows for I'm in love. Like, if we're dating, yeah, I'm swallowing, but mm-hmm. no, I'm, I'm, I'm a cum slut. Dump them babies in the booty hole so I can dump them out later. Oh my yeah. goodness! And don't put them out because if it tastes oh, bad, that's the dirtiest thing ever said on this show. Yeah, like because if oh, it tastes please. bad, like Ryan says, I'm gonna spit it out and look at you like, what's wrong with you? You you dare put this in someone's mouth? This is disgusting. Drink some pie double cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Do you actually like the taste? Is what I'm asking. Okay, I have to be really in love. Like, a, so yeah. it's totally psychological. For yeah. Me. I'm with Drew Lausch. I will do it like a, as a duty to someone who I'm either in Support love with. Support the troops. Yes. yes. To, well, if it's troops, then 100%. No, oh, but yeah. if, it's someone I'm, if it's someone I'm A, deeply in love with, or B, just so attracted to because he's like a god, mm-hmm. then I will do it. But there's no part of that that I enjoy. Yeah. I don't like the taste of it. I don't certainly don't like the feel of it in my mouth or in my throat. And I have said this before. I'm not a big fan of cum, period. Mm-hmm. Cum is like a, a, an unavoidable consequence of everything I love doing, but it's not the goal for me, and I'm happy to rub it off on a towel and get it out of my sight as fast as possible. See, I think there's nothing more disgusting than a hard towel covered in (laughs) Oh, I have nice soft towels. You know what I use? I have a whole stack of cum rags by my bed, which are 99% of which is used just by me solo. Right. Um, You take like worn out soft undershirts that have either yellow stains or have holes in them and mm-hmm. you cut them into cum rags and oh. they're nice and soft on your peen. Can I say one last Don't thing Don't say about you never cum. learned anything on the Adam Sank show. <laughs> I saw By the way, Twitter. hi Anya. <laughs> hi Anya. <laughs> Hope you're listening with your mother. I saw on Twitter a couple months ago um, a video of a guy who had put all of his cum into some sort of like uh, ice tray. Oh, this is going to make me throw up. No. And then put the ice cube of cum like into his hole and then like let it kind of like melt and like his own cum in no. his own hole yeah oh my god I, you know what that's not the first time i'm hearing of this yeah. matthew camp knew of someone who did that too i was like that's gross Ooh, like well, matthew camp knows cum. someone who's done everything that's narcissism yeah. on like i know at least level. Ma- at least do like, someone else's cum like, right like, i don't i don't well, need i already have it in my body but well, it came from me. I, I'm just thinking more about like this <laughs> idea of back, putting yeah. an ice cube of cum. It's like it's. It, I don't. Whatever. I mean, yeah. It's it's weird. To, I guess to do your own cum. But it's just like this idea of like let's let this ice cube of cum melt into. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ice cube anyway. of cum is also the um, <laughs> the title of my forthcoming <laughs> book of poetry. Um, no, the reason I asked this question though is because cocktails and cock talk had a story about cum swallowing this week. Hit it, JB. And now. Time for another stupid story from Cocktails at Cocktalk.com. Yeah, suck my cock. CNCT says, are you a cum-guzzling slut? (laughs) Well, pig-shamed is the last thing you'd have been back in Roman times. In fact, you would have been hailed as brave. Well. Any guy who performed sex on, excuse me, any guy who performed oral sex on Roman soldiers back in the day was seen as manly. Masculinity was also a trait associated with hung guys. Yeah, it still is. Uh, Ancient Rome, circa 753 BC, did not carry a stigma around gay sex, but it was actually seen as a bonding experience, which ultimately strengthened the force of a unit. Uh, And while gay sex was enforced onto some as a part of slavery, the acts were partaken in consensually by those at the very top of the food chain. Uh... Although we can't say for sure whether Caesar or Alexander the Great were actually tops, they were certainly into sex with men. Um, However, being a bottom was seen as – this was a role that was predominantly filled by uh, men known as entertainers or Mm, prostitutes. Bottom. Let me entertain you. If you you were a hastatus, one of the youngest and poorest men to fight on the front line, you were expected to prove your worth through sword fighting, combat – and swallowing nut. 
Semen was also perceived as spiritually containing the essence of a man, as well as important nourishment for the body. No. Apparently, the Hastatus were expected to empty the sacks of at least four men each morning. Oh, oh my goodness. That's a lot of blowjobs. Like, <laughs> but it wasn't only the... Lockjaw. But this is interesting. It was only the hung soldiers who got blown. You had to have eight inches oh. in order to qualify. Wow. Uh, and by the way, this would all take place within a 15 to 20 minute window before the sun rose. The rewards of completing this cum eating contest were viewed in a new respectful you, you were viewed in a new respectful light and you got to keep your head. Some of this tracks for me though because <laughs> I feel like when I swallow cum I'm like a noble cum warrior. Like I feel like I'm doing like a, a spiritual oh, oh, a spiritual oh, um, oh, religious oh, ceremony and I am like um you know yeah I get this. I feel this. So you're telling me I was born in the wrong time. I should be in Roman times, and that means I could have been running the world. But isn't it interesting that bottom shaming is like as old as oh my god, gay sex is? I'm over that. Me too. Yeah, fuck that. It's more manly to bottom. I agree. Yeah, Yeah. you're you're fighting the good fight. You're doing the hard (laughs) shit. I think we should start top shaming. Yeah, I agree. It's certainly uh, it's certainly more difficult. I mean, sticking your dick into a butt is the easiest thing in the world. Right. Taking it. Period is the easiest thing in the world. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cleaning it out, making sure everyone's having a good time, make sure there's no poop stains. Oh my goodness. And no one's painting anything. Like, damn. <laughs> like, I don't even get no prize or anything. You just put nut in me, and that's the reason I'm winning glory. Yep. <laughs> and that's why he's our producer, ladies and gentlemen. All right, we're going to go from the ridiculous to the slightly sublime. Um, this is an interesting story that caught my eye a couple weeks ago. Uh, you guys know about the Lincoln Project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is this Republican. Uh, group that are all very anti-Trump, and they've been controversial all along because not only did they support Trump in the beginning, but they, they're lifelong Republicans. They've done tons of horrible shit mm-hmm. and stood for all the wrong things, um, but they raised an enormous amount of money during the 2020 campaign season and just came out with ad after ad after ad that they ran on places like Fox News um, that just completely ripped Trump apart. And I am happy that they did that. I I think it actually helped. It may have made the difference. And I understand there are a bunch of rich, white, Republican men who have done shitty things to us, to the world. I'm not saying they're good guys, but I like what they did. Anyone who helped defeat Trump, I'm going to cheer for. Um, But the founder of the Lincoln Project has come out at the age of 61. Uh, His name is John Weaver. He is married to a woman and has two children, and at 61, he's come out of the closet and apologized for sending what he called inappropriate messages to younger men. Oh, dear. Tale as old as time. Yeah, now he comes out. (laughs) He left the Lincoln Project. He resigned. They scrubbed him from their website. Um, And this was, to me, this was originally how I read the whole story. It was like, yeah, I sent some messages. I'm gay. I'm coming out. I'm sorry for sending inappropriate messages. Now it's coming out. That it's really a full-fledged Me Too scandal. Because these weren't just any young men. These were young men who were looking to either be interns Mm -hmm. for him Mm. or to get ahead somehow in Republican politics. And according to several of these young men, a lot of them have come forward now. Um, There wasn't like an explicit quid pro quo, but there was definitely like a yeah, I'd love to mentor you. I'd love to show you around and give you a tour. And then maybe we could have some fun afterwards. Mm. So it was using his, allegedly using his position as a powerful politico to get into these guys' pants. And there were a lot of them, allegedly. Um, This guy, prior to working for the Lincoln Project, was one of the top advisors to John McCain, Mm. Republican presidential candidate in Mm -hmm. 2008, as well as John Kasich, the former governor of Ohio. So he was, a, he was a big dude in the Republican establishment. And what's interesting is he's getting it now from all sides. The right wing hates him because they hate the Lincoln Project for turning on Trump. And the left is like, you're a predator. Right. So he's kind of shit out of luck. Well, karma's kind of a bitch, isn't it? It is. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. So also, I mean, so... It's not it sounds like this sort of me too scandal was brewing 
and is what maybe led absolutely him to come. He didn't just out. come out because he decided to be yeah. honest. This he, is yeah. He this tried sucks. to get ahead of the scandal. Yeah, but yes, the it started with someone going on Twitter and saying, "I want to tell you guys a story about John Weaver," and uh, here are some text messages to back up what I'm saying. Damn. It's not clear to me whether he actually had sex with anyone, but he certainly tried. Hmm. He says, to the men I made uncomfortable through my messages that I viewed as consensual mutual conversations at the time, I am truly sorry. They were inappropriate, and it was because of my failings that this discomfort was brought on you. I have the most beautiful, loving, and courageous family who I deceived all these years. I don't deserve you, but I love you with all my heart, and I'm so sorry that you have to suffer for my mistakes. You know, once again, I don't know, you know, this guy sounds like a creep, but regardless of of who he is or what he's done, this once again illustrates the toxicity of the closet. Mm-hmm. The closet is like one of the single worst things for humanity well, because it makes people act out in fucked up ways. Yeah. 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 And I think like, well, that's, I mean, that's just like the toughest part. Cause it's like, we've all been in the closet. So we all know how tough that is, but it's also hard to not think like, it's like, Oh God, I know that you must've just been so tortured. And so for that, I feel for you. But then I'm also like, but you are literally the worst kind of homosexual that would that would, because you couldn't deal with it, made so many other people that were dealing with a similar thing, their lives way harder. Like, it's, right. it's such a catch Right, and he did. He worked for yeah. anti-gay candidates and, mm-hmm. and anti-gay positions. And, you know, it dep- It also depends to me, to, to me, it depends on what they do after they come out. Like, if you're going right. to now devote That's your hard. considerable talents and fundraising efforts toward mm-hmm. helping LGBTQ equality then, like, there's a little bit of redemption there. It's like yeah. the Aaron Schott thing all over again. Oh, Aaron yeah. Schott, who has done nothing, nothing. good. Still, but still hangs around with the faggots. Oh, yes. I'm sure he was in Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. I don't know that. It's allegedly. Meanwhile, uh, every once in a while, we do a pro-Republican story on this show. It's very rare. But there is a Republican congressman who has caught my eye, and not just because he's hot as fuck, but because he seems like a genuinely good guy. His name is Adam Kinzinger. Mm. Uh, Google him. He's a yes. young Republican from Illinois. He's been one of Trump's most outspoken critics. Hmm. Consistently. Not recently, but consistently. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying and recently. Um, he was the only Republican to vote in favor of calling on Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Trump. And he also voted for impeachment. He was one of those 10 House Republicans that voted for it. Um, oh, and, no, he is. He's real fine. He's super cute. He's real fine. And I've seen him on TV multiple times. He's just like saying all the right things about Trump and about the the bullshit election fraud and all that stuff. Now he's calling on evangelical Christian leaders. He's he's asking them to take accountability for their role in stirring up Trump's insurrection. And he's naming names. He wrote. I believe – he posted this on Twitter. I believe there's a huge burden now on pastors and clergy who openly spread the conspiracies of a stolen election like Robert Jeffries, Behold Israel, and Franklin Graham, among many others, to admit their mistakes and lead their flocks out of the darkness to truth. Those were their Twitter names. He was referencing uh, South Baptist minister, uh, Pastor Robert Jeffries, the founder of Behold Israel, Amir Sarfati and evangelical leader Franklin Graham. All three of them have been staunch Trump supporters. Both Graham and Jeffries are vociferously anti-LGBTQ, and they frequently blame us for all of society's problems. Uh, But Jeffries tweeted in response, Adam, you need to get your facts straight. I've never once claimed the election was stolen. If anyone needs to admit their mistake, it's you. We'll be awaiting your apology. And Kinzinger, and this just shows you what a good guy he is, he wrote back, you know, sir, you are absolutely correct. You did act honorably, and while my point remains about the church and the need for pastors to lead, you did not press the stolen election conspiracies. I'm sorry for including you in that tweet. So he deleted the original tweet, but followed up with another that said, I believe there's a huge burden right now on Christian leaders, especially those who entertain the conspiracies to lead their flock back to truth. So, you know, there aren't a lot of them there certainly aren't enough of them, but when 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 Republicans do good things and speak out for what's right and what's true, I I commend them for it. It's worth noting for sure. Mm-hmm. We need more of them. Yeah, you know. And also, Adam Kinzinger, I get it. If you're ever in New York and you need a place to stay, um, here I am. Here I am. Ass open to the wind, stick it in. Here I am. Exactly. Meanwhile, speaking of 
cunty religious leaders, some of them are claiming that the COVID vaccine will turn you gay. Confirmed. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely true. Has anyone in this room been vaccinated yet? No. No. I mean, by a needle. Oh, (laughs) answer still no. (laughs) Mm -mm. A popular rabbi is claiming that the vaccine can make you gay. He's a Haredi rabbi. I don't know what that means. Rabbi Daniel Azor. And he said in a rant on social media uh, at, I guess, was in Hebrew, any vaccine made using an embryonic substrate we have evidence of this causes opposite tendencies. I guess we all have opposite tendencies. <laughs> he also said that a global malicious government conspiracy that includes Bill Gates, the Freemasons and the Illuminati uh, are behind this virus um, and the vaccine because it will turn everyone gay. Uh, can I just say, I wish there were a vaccine that turned everybody gay. I think the world would be a better place. Yeah. Yes, we have too many goddamn people as it is. Let's take all of the religious people and turn them gay. Except then, then they would act like that. Oh, I guess fucking then, then. <laughs> like those closet cases who who then you know wreak havoc on others. Right. But I mean, it, in terms of our sexual possibilities, it would just mm-hmm. get just laid say, on every corner. Yes, this Judy. is just like a rinse and repeat. Like every time, like they did the same thing with HIV. It was like, oh, HIV is gonna turn you gay or into a monkey or some sort of mm-hmm. fuckery. Like every time a disease come out. It's always going to turn you something. Why, or, why we're to, t- or we're to blame for it. Right. I mean, yeah. I've, I've heard that, co- that gays are responsible for COVID. That too. I'm just now like, it oh turns God. out the vaccine turns you gay. I'm just like, if it does turn you gay, don't you want to live a fabulous life anyway? Exactly. Gay people are so much more fun than straight people. What if the vaccine turned us straight? Oh, oh horrible. Would we had this be? conversation at my apartment the other night. I was with my COVID pod and we were, I was asking everyone if you could push a button and turn yourself straight, would you do it? And I just assumed everyone would say, hell no, because I would never in a million years want to yeah. be straight. But one person was ambivalent, and one person said, absolutely, I would want to be straight. Wow. Well, your life would be easier. Yeah, easier, maybe, but I so say, I mean, boring. The, well, definitely. Like, but the world is catered to straight people. Yeah. I mean, I think if you would have asked me at 16, 17, I would have been like, oh my, this is a gift. Thank sure. you. Yes, I would love to be straight. I mean, of course, now, you know, self-love. But like, <laughs> but, you know. I mean, homophobia and violence and all that aside, I just think gay people are so much more, I mean, no offense to the straight listeners, but I just think we're so much more fun, interesting, talented, dynamic. (laughs) Like, I I love it. I love everything about being gay. Me too. Samesies. I don't know. Except for (laughs) cones. Guys, I I, I honestly have to put a lot of thought into this question because I I would want to be a straight woman. I don't want to be a straight man. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Would that, you want to be a straight black woman? Yes. Yes, I would. Because from what I hear, it ain't always a picnic. It's not always a picnic. But again, it's still the black struggle. I understand that. And that's something I understand. Uh, I, I don't see myself being a straight man. That's It doesn't compute. If you were a straight woman, you you think you would just be taking tons of dick? I would be. I'd probably be pregnant, y'all. <laughs> like, I have all the baby daddies. Like, I'll be in so much trouble. And God was like, this is why you can't have a pussy. Because you would just be a trouble girl. Like, JB pregnant. Bro. Like, every time we see him, he's, like, pregnant again. Yes! Oh. No, oh which, which baby daddy is this one? Number five, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I would have had a few abortions by now. Oh, so. boy. Same. Meanwhile, in England, uh, conservatives are losing their minds over there over a an ad for Cadbury chocolate that featured a gay couple. Sounds so good. Kissing, uh, by I have to show you the picture. It's hard to explain. You know when two people share a piece of food and their uh-huh. lips touch. Uh-huh. They're like party Aww. games where you can do this too. That's cute. So they're a real life interracial gay couple, and uh, their names are Callum Sterling and Dale Moran. And their ad went viral this month after they were featured in a Cadbury cream egg commercial. They intimately share one of the chocolate treats as a way to demonstrate. There are many different ways to eat the the candy that are shown in the commercial, and that was one way. Um, As the video swept the web, the religious right and internet haters quickly piled on to condemn the company or post disgusting comments about the men. That's when Sterling posted to Instagram... So it's okay when an advertisement sexualizes a woman, a Caucasian woman, 37 years ago even, to benefit the male gaze and make other women feel inadequate if they do not live up to this beauty standard. But it's not okay in 2021 to have an advertisement of a multiracial strike one, gay couple, strike two, on your screens for 10 seconds, strike three, 
eating slash kissing slash sexualized strike four. Does anyone not see how ridiculous this is? Like actual LOL. You know what? Shade. This is... We should abolish the internet. (laughs) Uh, I kind of agree, although people wouldn't be able to listen to this podcast. (sighs) True. But it's just like, it's just like, I mean, first of all, I think the perspective, like, I think homophobia is so tired. Yeah. And, and, and giving people a platform to share their homophobia is just like, I mean, I know we need the internet, whatever, but it's just like, just shut the fuck up. Press the button. (laughs) Where is it? I can't find it. Oh. Shut up, cunt! There we go. Uh, my feeling is, first of all, this commercial would never happen in the United States. Like, yeah. it wouldn't mm-hmm. even be allowed. Yeah. But second of all, I do find the picture kind of distasteful. Not because they're two men, just because I don't really like food being passed from one mouth to another. Sure. It's a little gross to me. Um, but who cares? But like, who cares? Yeah, and, like, that's the thing. Homophobia is so tired. Like... Well, I mean, sure, if you're like, okay, I didn't really need to see someone, like, sharing. I mean, I kind of wish I was the chocolate. Like, I, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, that's my take. But it is tired. Like, every, t- I mean, homophobic, it's, it's just, just yeah, so, I'm like, thing. shut like, up. Okay, like, you don't like us. Get, if it makes you uncomfortable, then change the fucking channel. <laughs> I also think that companies like Cadbury do these commercials on purpose to get yeah. people all stirred up. And so then everyone's writing about Cadbury sure. chocolate. Cloud, and yeah. finally, I'll say, I find the Cadbury cream egg offensive in and of itself. It's a disgusting <gasps> candy. Oh, my With God. that gook inside of it, that like that white and yellow mm, gook. I love that gook. It makes me feel like I'm like Willy Wonka in the Charlie Fact. It's fun. Give me that gook. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back to swallowing cum. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Hong Kong, police are oh investigating a viral video of gay sex that was shot aboard a subway <sighs> train. Oh, I see these videos all the time. Really? Yes. The 45-second video depicts two men in an apparently empty train car masturbating and having sex, their clothes strewn about. That's reckless. Yeah. Emojis conceal their faces, obscuring their identities. Another 30-second clip shows one of the men taking a selfie, this time with other passengers in the car. Uh, The video in question circulated on Twitter, although the account that posted them has since gone offline. Uh, The... Tsingyi Operations Control Center has reported the case to the police and are investigating. Um, the, one of the charges could be disorderly conduct in a public place as well as disseminating obscene and indecent articles. Uh, it's no joke in Hong Kong to be charged with these things. If caught and convicted, the men could face up to seven years in jail mm. as well as paying a fine of 5,000 Hong Kong dollars. Mm. Which is 644 American dollars. So the fine isn't so big, but the seven years in jail is real. A similar incident occurred in 2015 when a security guard identified two teenagers having sex at a public bus stop. They were convicted. Uh, They received a sentence of 60 hours of community service and seven years probation, probably because they were straight. Mm -hmm. Now, I've seen on on the porn tube sites, I've seen like guys on trains and planes like showing their cock or jerking off. Mm -hmm. But I've never seen like full on sex on one of those. I have. There's a lot of them. There's there's a lot yeah. of full on sex, especially in the New York City area. There's a lot of full on sex in these empty subway. There cars. is, and like, the thing that's so funny is that if you like, we are decent people. Well, mostly decent what? people. <laughs> mostly decent people. And so I, I I don't think any of us would would try to have anal sex on the subway. No. But if we did, I almost feel like it would get no reaction. I feel like New Yorkers. <laughs> yeah. I think people would just kind of back away. From I think you, people would right? leave. I think they would. I think and they take would... out their phones. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, you know, my story. People, there are the ones who would watch, walk away, and those who would call join authorities. Oh, I said I was going to say join in. Now, you guys all know my story of dry humping on the subway once. That's yes. the closest I've ever come to mm. actually, you know, having sexual activity on the subway. But um, I don't think I, I think I'd be too nervous. Yeah. I like the reckless aspect of it. Like, part of me, like, because I was like, oh, like, who would do that? And, like, I mean, if I was, like, on ecstasy and I was with, like, you know, like, a manic party dream boy, I'd be like, okay, like, I guess we're having, like, our yeah, moment. Yeah. But, <laughs> I, but also, but, I mean, it doesn't really seem worth it. And I feel like there's a lot of places that you can fuck in public and get that same thrill without it being, like, on a, like, yeah. on and a public train. I also train. don't want to upset other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, not, not necessary. 
I love the idea of sex in public, but I never want to be watched by a woman or straight people. You know, or like, like I only children. want other gay or children. Yeah. I don't want to disturb anyone. Yeah. Um, okay, last story. And this is one of my useless list stories that I love so much. I was, um, you know, just kind of tip, tiptoeing through the internet one night, and I came across this article from 2014 that interested me, and it's the 10 biggest money-making songs of all time. Now, this doesn't mean like the Beatles songs or like Mariah Carey. These are songwriters who may or may not be well-known, who, who have made tens of millions of dollars because they own the rights to a song that has appeared in a million different places. Interesting. Um, and so I'm wondering how many of these are surprising to you. Number 10 is Mel Torme's The Christmas Song. Mm, I love Mel Torme. Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Mm. Yep. He wrote it when he was just 19. Damn. It's been covered by hundreds of artists, including Michael Buble, Tony Bennett, Garth Brooks, Bob Dylan, Frank Sinatra, and Sync. Uh, Torme wrote more than 250 songs during his career, but the Christmas song was by far his biggest financial success. It has earned, as of 2014, an estimated $19 million. Number nine is Roy Orbison and Bill Dees, who wrote Pretty Woman Walking Down the Street. By the way, if we sing these, we owe uh, money. Oh, shit. $19.75 million for that one. Number eight is the song that I remember uh, and that I've never liked. It's Every Breath You Take by Sting. Mm. Every Breath You Take, if we speak it? Every Breath You Take. <laughs> I was 12 when that song came on, and it was the worst year of my life. And it's a song about stalking, and it's yeah. really depressing. I don't know why everyone loves it's it. It's about stalking. I mean, isn't it? I thought it was more of like a love song. <laughs> every breath you take, every, every move, move you, you make. make I'll be watching you. Yeah, I mean, it sounds sort of romantic stalker. to me. Oh yeah. my god! I'm sorry. I only know that. Ver- I only know the R&B version of that. Uh, P Diddy. Uh, P Diddy. Yep. Oh, so when Diddy produced oh. his version, JB, he forgot to ask for permission, which allowed Sting to demand and receive an unheard of 100 percent of the remix's publishing royalties. Wow. Uh, what's interesting is the only part of the original Police song that Diddy actually sampled was Andy Summers' guitar riff, yeah. which Sting didn't write. But uh, because Sting gets 100% credit for writing the song, he got the Monet. So that song has made $20.5 million. Uh, number seven, we're just going to run through these quick because we're running short on time. Haven Gillespie and Fred J. Coots' Santa Claus is Coming to Town. A lot of these are Christmas songs, mm-hmm. $25 million. Uh, Number six, Ben E. King, Jerry Lieber, and Mike Stoller, Stand By Me, mm. $27 million. Alex North and High Zarat, Unchained Melody. Mm. Wise men nope. sing. No? My, you're singing uh, Can't Help Falling in Love. So how does Unchained Melody go? Um, my love, my darling. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. That's made $27 million. Uh Number f- uh, four, John Lennon and Paul McCartney yesterday has made an estimated $30 million. What's interesting about this is... John Lennon, or excuse me, Paul McCartney wrote the entire thing himself. Mm. But Lennon and McCartney had a songwriting deal where no matter who wrote the song, everything was going to be a Lennon-McCartney song and would be split 50-50. So that song has made Yoko Ono so many millions of dollars. And McCartney has asked her to please relinquish it, relinquish the rights, because John had nothing to do with it, and she certainly didn't. And she refused. Get that money, girl. Yes. Right? Number three, Barry Mann, Cynthia Weil, and the just-deceased murderer Phil Spector. You've lost that love and feeling. $32 million. Number two is Irving Berlin's White Christmas, which has earned an estimated $36 million. And number one, and this one has always infuriated me, Happy Birthday <laughs> by the Hill Sisters. <laughs> 1893, these two spinsters who taught kindergarten... Uh, and, and, and the rumor is they didn't even write the fucking song. They took a song that already existed called Good Morning to All with the same tune, and they just wrote new words to it. And it's a shitty fucking song. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. That song, uh, which was not in the public domain until very recently, earned an estimated $50 million. Damn. The estate of the Hill Sisters eventually sold it to Warner Music Group. And literally any anyone who used Happy Birthday, if you saw it in a movie or a TV show, you had to pay $25,000 to Warner Music. Well, here's an update. Since the article came out, uh, the song was ruled by a court to be in the public domain. 
And so as of 2015, any copyright claim is invalid and uh, we can sing it. So here we go to anyone whose birthday it is today. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear someone. Harmony, please. Happy birthday to you and many more. Before 2015, we'd have to pay $25,000 to do that on the ass, but now it's free. What a gift. Do you know the or so what about and many more? When when did that come into the mm. into the dialogue? Well, Let's talk about that for 20 more minutes so that we uh, <laughs> interrupt our guest interview. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Our guest today is making her ass debut. She is an internationally known comedian, writer, producer, DJ, and flight attendant, as well as a true gay icon. She's currently starring in her own socially distanced comedy show entitled Pandemic down in Wilton Manors, Florida, where oh. Drew and I were. Here's a taste of the comedy stylings of Pam Ann. You know what I love most? I love watching economy passengers board. I love that. I make sure that they board through the business class section of the aircraft first. I encourage my first class and my business class passengers to board early because I like playing games. So I get everyone ready. I get all the flat beds down. I get them all down. I get my two gays. My two gays, they just do the flowers. You know how Virgin Atlantic have that one in-flight bitch that does massage? You know, eh, whatever. She won't let you come in her face, will she? My two boys will rim you and double fuck you and do the flowers. <laughs> Catch up, Richard Branson. <laughs> And joining us all the way from sunny Miami, Florida, please give a warm-ass welcome to Caroline Reed, a.k.a. Pam Ann. Oh, hello. Hello, hello. Do we... I love that. Thank you. I love it, too. Do we call you Pam or Caroline? What do you prefer? Look, it doesn't matter, honestly. Okay. <laughs> Let's stick with Pam, then. How are things in my... You're in Miami, yes? I am in Miami. It's a beautiful day here today in Miami. So everybody's out. No masks. Oh, no. All twerking off the backs of convertibles. Nobody in Florida is wearing masks, right? No, it's quite scary. How is it that you're doing live theater right now in the midst of a pandemic? Because here in New York, there is no mm. live performances of any kind. Well, I know it took me um, quite a while to find the venue, one that wasn't outside uh, and something that was socially distanced because, look, <laughs> COVID likes my body type, so I'm quite nervous myself. So I wanted to find something that people felt safe in and also where I felt safe in. So Hunter's Nightclub in Wilton Manors has been... Um, having a show. Have you heard of Aerotic? No. Oh, it's this amazing, uh, it's like Cirque du Soleil, but for, with beautiful gay boys. Mm, sounds good to me. And they jump around in barbs and spread their legs and do all that sort of thing. You know, nice. I won't be doing that. No. But they've had the show on there since November and they've had it socially distanced and they've had no problems. So if they've been performing and, doing it, you know, because they're all the, the usually probably could seat about 200, maybe more, I'm not sure, but it's the 56 people, so it's not many people in the space, and it's all social distance, and all the people that are buying the tables are in their own little bubbles, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, that's smart. So everything, so all the people that are, like, in the VIP, they all are together, as as one sort of family, if you like, and then so it's um, it's 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 quite clever how they've done it. So I feel very safe. I mean, I'm actually very envious of anyone who gets to see you or any other brilliant oh. live performers right now. You know, because we just we miss it so much here. Are you do you, are you getting yourself tested regularly to make sure, or do you just feel like you're safe at this point? Well, I've been very safe. Uh, I, ha I don't have any symptoms at all. I mean, I mean, I, I've been tested twice. I had the antibodies. I haven't had COVID, um, so I feel very safe in myself. I mean, I can go. I, I probably have a test before I go down there. You know, seventy-two hours beforehand, um, just to make sure. But I'm just sort of quarantining a bit before the show. You know, so yeah. 
I'm not really going out. I'm at home sort of going over my show because I haven't performed in 11 months. So it's kind of like... Yeah, I mean, I was... Start I, I was thinking about that. You know, as comedians, uh, we have to keep doing it. It's 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 not like riding a bike. If you don't, if you stop for a long period of time, you sort of, you know, have to work to get that rhythm back. And and not to mention to memorize all of your own material again. And I'm sure you've written new material for this. How has the process been of putting this show together after not being on stage for so long? Um, I guess this process this time has been, I've allowed much more time in preparation, whereas if I'm on the road and I'm touring, I could write a show during the day and do that night, you know. So I work, you know, on the fly or very improvised. So this show I'm kind of scripting in a way and... um, memorizing it and then on on the day letting it all go and see what comes out if you know what i mean like so i'm preparing a lot more for this one for example yeah do you, mm-hmm. so do you, do you feel rusty or do you feel like i can do this um you know i've always had a i've always had anxiety before a show and i've always been a nervous wreck oh, so yeah? that doesn't come across at all <laughs> before like during the day um, I sort of build up and I have this real anxiety and once I'm on stage I'm good like I'm fine it's getting to the stage that's uh exhausting I mean I sort of get that there's always that moment of fear before you step on stage but you you come across as such a, a confident boisterous performer How, where did Pam Ann come from how did you originally develop the character uh, well, I always was really into the design and the of of like the airline industry, but the marketing of Pan America or anything sort of airline seventies. But Pan was born really out of the James Bond theme party that I had. It was my birthday, and everyone came with someone from James Bond, you know. And I went as Pan American air hostess because James Bond flew Pan American in one of his films. So I went as Pan Am. Oh, no, I just went as a Pan American air hostess. And then I had so much vodka and got shit-faced that all these people kept coming over to me saying Pan Am and Pan Am, Pan Am, Pan Am, Pan Am. And then in the morning I woke up and went, Pan Am, it's Pan Am. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that? If you say it enough, it sounds like Pan Am, you know? Uh, 1996. Now, had you already been a performer at that point, or was this, this your introduction into the performing world? Uh, yeah, I was, I really, I was, I wanted to do acting, like drama, uh, so I did that, you know, at school, and I really wanted to be an actress. I auditioned for Muriel's Wedding, Neighbours. Uh. Like, I did all of that. But I was terrible at auditioning. Like, I can't read off a script to save my life. But but if I learn it and I can do it, then that's fine. But it's the auditions, again, that would just get me completely nerve-wracked, you know? Yeah. So... Um, I thought, well, if I'm going to be in this industry, I better figure this shit out. You know, I better do something that I don't need to audition. If I come up with my own show, then I don't need to audition. I can just do it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's a, that's a great thing about being a comedian is you you create your own show and your own concept and you do what you want to do. And, you know, you were for- yeah. fortunate enough and talented enough to find an audience. Well, I don't know whether I was that talented, but... Absolutely, <laughs> you are. Come on. <laughs> but it was uh, it was all by trial and error, you know, and um, I pretty much the first show I ever did, I re- read off my friend's aunt. She, she worked for Antset. was like an airline in Australia, and I just pretty much read off her safety manual and made it sort of funny. Like, it was... It was actually, I didn't even know that I was going to be funny. Like, I guess there was things there, but it was it was a lot of um, discovery at that time. Like, oh my god, you know, and learning and figuring it out. Now you've developed a huge following among gay men. The first time I ever heard of you was when I went on an Atlantis cruise many years ago, and you were one of the headline entertainers on the ship. 
do you think that gay men see you as a drag queen and that's sort of where, where why they respond so much to you? What do you think it is that appeals to the gays about Pam Ann? Um, well, I just guess that, I mean, my, my, all my life I've, um, you know, been in the, you know, I've been part of the LGBTQ community. So it's, you know, all my friends are 99% gay. So I'm, <laughs> I'm like, it's just a, maybe it's just like minds and we speak the same language. I don't know. Um, I've never gone out and sourced anything. I've just been myself. And I guess, you know, like I say, you know, I was brought up by drag queens and tr the transgender community. So I went to the, I say the drag trans attic art school. That's the school I went to. So I guess, you know, I was groomed by the trans and the drag queens from Melbourne. <laughs> Do you consider Pam Ann to be a, 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 a female drag queen, a cisgender drag queen? Well, you know, I I work in um, so many uh, gay bars in Australia uh, when I when I was just starting out, and you know, the drag queens, you know, really I always loved dra drag, and I like the drag queens; they're all my friends, and I learned a lot from them. So it's definitely in the DNA of Pam Ann because she was born out of the Albury Hotel in Sydney, you know, which was like. Priscilla Queen of the Desert drag queens back then. Right. So um, I sort of did go to that school. And the comedy, you know, a lot of drag queens are very sharp and witty and funny. And, you know, in London, there's a lot of very, very funny, witty drag queens all over the world. But, you know, I think most of my career, people think I'm a man. They think I'm trans on Tinder. I just think it's the language that I speak on Tinder. I guess other women don't talk like me. Um, but yeah, trans, man, drag, all of it, like whatever people see me as, I have no problem with. I'm going to make a gross generalization about Australians and you tell me if this is wrong. I feel like as, <laughs> as, as a people, Australians have a very campy sense of humor. I feel like, like camp and drag and, and sort of the gay sensibility is more accepted and more widespread in Australia than it is in a place like the United States where we have so much like sort of the redneck macho bullshit culture. Am I wrong about this? Oh, you, yes and no. I, I understand where you're coming from because you have the Minogue sisters, we have Strictly Boring, Muriel's Wedding, and there is... Yes, all, the, all the, Paul, the PJ Hogan movies. <laughs> yeah, it's all very camp. We had really camp shows, but I must say, you know, Peter Allen, who um, the boy from Oz yes. was based on the real story. You know, he was probably the first gay man, like not the first gay man, but like one of the biggest entertainers in Australia who was gay. He, I mean, he did meet uh, Mary Liza, but back in those days, you know, it was still frowned upon to be gay, and I think that he wasn't celebrated enough for by Australians and I don't know how much how much of Australia celebrates it, if you know what I mean. I think there are parts of the country I mean, I did a show back in two thousand and eight, the Pam Ann show, it was very gay heavy and um I think it was a bit too soon for Australian audiences, you know? But that was after Priscilla. Yeah. Because Priscilla was early 90s, and that was a huge phenomenon both there and here, was it not? Yeah, it was. It was. But I think that if it – see, that is – I mean, there was a lot of straight actors in that. Yes. But I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a funny line. Like, I think there is definitely – I think there's glitter in the water in some places. It's <laughs> definitely not in others. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know Australia also has its share of rough and tumble uh, places and, and, you know, some of that same toxic masculinity that we have here. But I just feel like every yeah. every Australian I've ever met, male or female, straight or gay, they all have a very delightful, wicked, naughty sense of humor about them. And it's one of the reasons I just always love meeting them. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Like, I mean... Yeah, there it is. I understand what you're saying. That, that Australians, you know, are very uh, laid back and 
they're, they're, they're a bit on PC, Australians, but I feel like they're getting a bit too PC. Because if I'm performing around the world, sometimes Australia is like, I forget that I'm there and I'm, and they're like, fuck, I was like, they get upset. I'm like, what did I say? And, um, so I feel like they're getting more conservative. I think the UK is probably the, the most, uh, UK and Germany almost are the most open-minded, I think. Yeah, I mean, that you can really free Comedy has changed so much. Uh, you know, I, I I did stand up for fifteen years, and when I look back at some of the jokes oh, yeah. I did back then, they would not fly today. They would be considered really offensive, and or mm-hmm. um, you know, celebrating stereotypes rather than dispelling them. And and you know, we we do have to be very careful about what we say, um, which is both a positive and a negative. You know, it 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 puts a limitation on sort of how far you can push the envelope, but it also means that, that your comedy is more accessible to, to a wider group of people because they don't watch it and get offended. I don't necessarily care to be popular, though, to the wider community. Right. <laughs> like, that doesn't... That, I, I think that if you start to change yourself to be more popular, I think that's where you end up doing bad work. Right, so you, you know, just stick you with some who of you are. Comedians. Well, I think so. I think if you do, we might not have the success that other people do, but what is it that you want out of it, you know? Right. I mean, you know, you look at some of those greats, like Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, as soon as they start hitting those big movies, they lose, they make all the money and they have the big houses, but then what? Right. Like, it's sort of downward yeah. spiral. Well, in the time... I don't know. It- I, I, Sorry. Sorry, but so go finish what you were saying. There you go. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Payman. In the time remaining, it's time to play everyone's favorite at-home quiz show, Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. What's the worst thing you ever ate on board an aircraft? Uh, economy meal. Just any economy meal. Any. <laughs> Shade. First class all the way, bitch. Uh, which airline yeah. has the bitchiest flight attendants? Um, I would say British Airways. Oh, really? Here, I think it's Southwest. Yeah. Southwest always has these over-the-top queens who, like, throw tantrums in the aisle. Uh, I'm British Airways. You have the worldwide fleet that, you know, they'll roll their eyes and kick you in the cunt when you're bored. <laughs> <laughs> are, you <a> member of the, <laughs> are you a member of the Mile High Club? Yes. You are? How do you fuck in that yeah, tiny little bathroom? I didn't really fuck, but I, you know, get penetrated, fingered. Good for you. Like recently? Yeah, fingered at the bar on Virgin. Oh, my. I need to fly Virgin. You sit there, have a few drinks. Uh, describe the scariest flight you ever had. Uh, flying out of Miami and the cargo door was open. Oh and God. the captain came on. No one was listening to him. And they said they got to make an emergency landing back into Miami and no one was listening to the captain. No one even knew that we were heading back and we were full of fuel. We couldn't drop the fuel because if the door opens, then the whole side of the plane comes out. So we landed full full of fuel and there was like three fire brigades, four ambulances coming down in Miami and no one actually on the whole aircraft even knew that there was an emergency. <laughs> Holy <laughs> no shit. No one was listening. So were, were I you, was listening. You were listening. Were you terrified? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was terrified because I know exactly what can happen. Like, if you just land heavy with all that fuel, you can blow up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. God, that's fucking yeah. scary. I mean, so that was terrifying. considering that you've been on, I would guess, thousands of flights, it's probably fortunate that that's your scariest experience and that you haven't actually, you know, been part of a crash situation. Yeah, I haven't. <laughs> By the way, you, you have done like 10 world tours, right? You've... You've been to every major city yeah. on earth. What what made you choose Miami as your permanent residence? Oh, uh, well, I was living in New York. So I was, I was living in London 10 years and I moved to New York for eight years. And I was a snowbird. And then some gay friends of mine, they said, well, we have our apartment. Why don't you go stay in there for a couple of months? And that was the end of me, the sangria mm. and the good cocaine. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, no, I'm not. Um, it was... <laughs> I worked so long, like I worked so hard, and I find sometimes when you're in New York, um, 
you're running around just being busy, but you're just really not doing a lot. And right. I realized that I could have a good balance work life, face myself here and then fly out of here and do tours. Uh, so it was a really beautiful place to come back to is, you know, Miami, because I'd go and do the tour and then come back here and it would be paradise. Um, so it was just really, I just realized, it, I woke up one day and I thought, oh, wow, I can do that. Like, I can have a work balance because I just worked so much that um, it was just time to just have a minute. Now, have you considered moving up to Wilton Manors? Because that's where all the gays are nowadays. I love Wilton Manors and I love Fort Lauderdale. And I'll probably, as I get older and older, I'll become a golden girl. And my goal is, you know, because artists, I have no retirement. You know, what am I going to do when I'm old? So I need to befriend some very wealthy gays. You need a sugar daddy or two. No, I don't want a sugar daddy. I just want, like, some sugar gays. <laughs> and I can live in the little house at the back, you know? Be like the house mother. And then they can... The house mother, and they can drag me out. They go, oh, Pam Ann lives in the back there. <laughs> <laughs> Pam Ann, tell us <laughs> some of your gone. funny stories, and we'll feed you. Yes. Yes, that's it. Now, it, Perfect. that leads me to my next question. Is there a Mr. Pam Ann? What is, what is your relationship status? Well, I am flirting with um, a very sexy, handsome uh, pro rugby coach, which is complete mm. opposite to me. So he's like, oh, he's French. He's like, I'll take you uh, to the stadium, you know, when they reopen to 80,000 people. I want to give you champagne and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, great. Well, I'll take you to my theater. You know, 500 people, all gay. <laughs> <laughs> and how does he feel about that? Fantastic. Good. He's a keeper. Have you, have you, uh, he's have, a keeper. Have you gotten naked with him yet? Do you know what he's packing down there? I don't know yet, but I'm certainly sending him. I'm grooming him with sexy photos with my tits and my ass, though. Perfect. You I know, it. it's all virtual right now. I mean... You gotta right. you gotta work them up and get them hot. So when these borders reopen, <laughs> well, speaking of you that, imagine? speaking of that, does Pam Ann allow for rear entry? Oh God, yeah, gotta ask. Yes. Like Wait, say that again. <laughs> An asshole like a hippo's yawn. Oh my God, that <laughs> deserves so applause. Yeah. Our studio audience is going crazy. Is it true that all Australian men are well hung? <laughs> I don't fuck Australians. <laughs> wow, I do. If any are listening. Yeah? Yeah, they're sexy as you fuck. Like it, you like it down Huh? They're sexy as fuck. Well, you know, if I woke up with an Australian going, oh, I hate it. Where are you going? I don't hate it. <laughs> I hate the accent. Wow, that's interesting. And finally, Pam Ann, have you ever left your phone not in airplane mode during flight? Always, never off airplane mode. I never turn it on. Because you know that will make the plane blow up. No, it won't. I've been on. I've been in a <laughs> cockpit flying from uh, Schiphol Amsterdam to Hamburg Airport, and the, the pilots, the two Dutch pilots, come in. You know, they thought I was Pamela Anderson when I was boarding, and I think they felt really guilty when I turned up. They said, "Come and sit up in the cockpit on landing," and I said, "Oh, can I keep my phone on?" They said, "Yeah, absolutely." It's no such bullshit, they right? Said, the only problem. It's all bullshit. That it's and the seatbelt are the two the things that make no sense to me. If the plane crashes, that fucking seatbelt's not going to do a goddamn thing for you. Well, the seatbelt will help you if you're in New York on an air on a Delta plane and Air France comes swinging their wings around. That'll help you in that case. <laughs> <laughs> true, true enough. Pam Ann, your live show is ongoing down in Wilton Manors, Florida. People can get tickets at PamAnn.com. How can everyone follow you on the Internet? Uh, at Pam Ann wants a gram, and that's Instagram. Pam Ann wants a gram, and on Twitter, at Pam Ann Air Bitch. Pam Ann Air Bitch. Thank you so much for talking to us. You are delightful. I look forward to seeing you live when I can. Oh, uh, how is it in New York? You're freezing. We're fucking cold and lonely and horny. Oh. <laughs> but you've brightened our day. Thanks for talking to us, honey. We got to run. Love Thank you, baby. You.
Let's Ryan go. and JB, plug yourselves. You can follow me at Ryan Frosting on Instagram and Twitter. At StockingAnarchy12, only on Instagram. How do we follow Drew Lausch? At Real Drew Lausch on Instagram. Thank you all so much. Tune in next week to hear a brand new episode with one of our favorite comedians, Carmen Lynch. Subscribe to this podcast at dnrstudios.com. Don't forget to get your ass merch at adamsank.com. Follow me, me, on Twitter and Instagram at adamsank. Email me your dick pics at adam at adamsank.com. Have a great week, bitches. Oh, and thank you to Stanton and Austin for my lovely Christmas gift. Bye. Bye.